Today is August 9th, 2020. Welcome to Common Ground. The series we are in is called Building a Theology of Liberation. This sermon is called Moses, Torn Between Two Identities, and the speaker is Chris Romine. Enjoy. Our scripture for today comes from Exodus 22-315. Having fled from Midian from, to Midian from Egypt, Moses remained as an immigrant there and, rema- and married a woman named Zipporah. She gave birth to a son, and Moses named him Gershom, because I've been an immigrant living in a foreign land. A long time passed, and the Egyptian king died. The Israelites were still groaning because of their hard work. They cried out, and their cry to be rescued from the hard work rose up to God. God heard their cry of grief, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God looked at the Israelites and God understood. Moses was taking care of the flock for his father-in-law, Jethro, Midian's priest. He led his flock out to the edge of the desert and he came to God's mountain called Horeb. The Lord's messenger appeared to him in a flame of fire in the middle of a bush. Moses saw that the bush was in flames but it didn't burn up. Then Moses said to himself, let me check out this amazing sight. When the Lord saw that he was coming to look, God called him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. Moses said, I'm here. Then the Lord said, don't come any closer. Take off your sandals because you are standing on holy ground. He continued, I am the God of your parent, Abraham's God, Isaac's God, and Jacob's God. Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I've clearly seen my people oppressed in Egypt. I've heard their cry of injustice because of their slave masters. I know about their pain. I've come down to rescue them from the Egyptians in order to take them out of that land and bring them to a good and broad land, a land that's full of milk and honey, a place where the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites all live. Now the Israelites' cries of injustice have reached me. I've seen just how much the Egyptians have oppressed them. So get going. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I to go to Pharaoh and to bring the Israelites out of Egypt? God said, Well, I'll be with you. And this will show you that I'm the one who sent you. After you bring the people out of Egypt, you will come back here and worship God on this mountain. But Moses said to God, If I now come to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they're going to ask me, what's this God's name? What am I supposed to say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. So say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. God continued, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your ancestors, 
Abraham's God, Isaac's God, and Jacob's God has sent me to you. This is my name forever. This is how all generations will remember me. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to Thanks God. Be to Thanks, y'all. And uh, again, welcome to Common Ground. Grace and peace to each of you on this beautiful Sunday. Uh, if you're joining us for the first time, I'm glad you're here. My name is Chris Romine. Uh, I am the organizing pastor, one of many people who are shaping common ground right now. Uh, and if you've been with us since day one, I'm also glad that you're here. Uh, common ground is a little church that's uh, maybe a little more than a year old. Uh, we talked about what gathering a new church would look like for a bit, and then eventually launched publicly on Pentecost uh, Sunday, 2019 which was um, June 9th, I think. Uh, for us, the launch was more of a define the relationship moment, uh, a DTR moment for us to say yes to this journey of gathering a new space for each of us to explore a faith of radical belonging through radical difference and radical hospitality uh, in that belonging. Because I would say, and we contend here at Common Ground, that the God we follow from scriptures is a radical one. Uh, radical generosity uh, demonstrated throughout scripture. Uh, so the least that we could do at Common Ground was to say yes to God's invitation to explore the bounds of that divine grace, the divine love um, expressed in God's um, story with uh, humankind. Uh, and so that's what we did. About a year ago, we said yes. Um, we decided uh, that the overwhelming, that, that it was worth it to launch a new church. And now the overwhelming majority of us actually came post-launch. Uh, so we are a church in progress. We are a community becoming. Uh, we are a people together who independently are doing some unraveling uh, around identity and around faith and around love and around commitment uh, and all that that means to uh, somewhat abandon or, or maybe renegotiate some old frames that we came from uh, and move into new, new territory. Uh, we are indeed a community that is not yet, and yet God is a God who is with us. Uh, so uh, as we said yes uh, a year ago, the result is that we've seen some greater presence at Common Ground uh, locally when we could gather in person, uh, and now digitally as we find ourselves in this weird age uh, that we're all still adjusting to. Uh, so if you're here, we believe that the God of Eve, uh, Sarah, Hagar, Rebecca, Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and Mary is up to something here at Common Ground, uh, doing something neat. And so here we find ourselves doing what we can to faithfully respond to that stirring that's hopefully in each of us and collectively shared. Uh, what will God uh, do is not known, but if uh, if this collection of ancient texts filled with stories that we now call the Bible is true. I am nothing but excited for what this God will do with us, just even a few of us who continue to say yes to building a new community of liberation, affirmation, and love. Uh, may what God is liberating in each of us individually pour out into our collective life so that liberation is what bursts forth around us in the world. Uh, not least with our friends and our loved ones, but also in our workplaces, with our coworkers, um, in our neighborhoods and neighbors and buildings, uh, that this wonderful God who has created all things 
has humbly invited us to be co-creators. So we might consider how we spend our money, uh, how we see the world, uh, where we invest our time in that world, as Chantilly said, uh, how, how, how we see our neighbor, so on and so forth. That, friend, sounds like good news to me, and I hope you can continue to respond to what God might be stirring in you that inspires you and invites you into co-creating. Uh, for to see divinity in you and expressed through you and to know how absolutely beautiful and abundantly valuable you are uh, is the very awakening into the liberation that we're inviting this summer. And so especially if you're joining us for the first time, we are in a sermon series attempting to grow a greater understanding of liberation. And for this series, we're using the book of Exodus to guide our steps. We're moving slowly through it. Um, I don't have the time to recap the whole series so far. Uh, I believe this is installment number four, and Lance will be preaching next week. I encourage you to go back and listen to the previous sermons if you missed them. Uh, but we're, again, moving slowly and deliberately through this story, the opening chapters of the Exodus narrative, to see the way Moses, uh, Moses' own individual liberation informs and helps and evokes some things in our journey as individuals and collectively at Common Ground. I think what we've learned so far is that Moses' story was quite a mess. It's far easier to recall the final chapters of Moses, what we now know of Moses, the Moses on Sinai, talking with God and writing down the Ten Commandments, than it is to recall the Moses that we went over the last few weeks, uh, a rather self-righteous and confused man um, in dual identities, one who breaks up a fight one day, uh, but not only after uh, actually murdering a fellow Egyptian and hiding the body. Uh, it's far easier for us now to recall the Moses who stood up to Pharaoh and said, let my people go boldly, um, than this confused, uh, what the text says, half-breed Egyptian. Not Egyptian enough to hide his ethnic otherness, but also too royal and too inside the palace walls for the enslaved Hebrews, his very people, to see him as anything other than the oppressor, the enslaver. And now, the murderer, as we uh, interrogated last week. It's far easier for us today in 2020 to see the Moses who commanded the room of Pharaoh's court uh, and, and meted out God's justice than a helpless baby pushed down a river of reeds, uh, nearly killed by a scarcity-minded Pharaoh at his birth uh, because that Pharaoh feared the Hebrews. And if not for two law-breaking, subversive Hebrew midwives, we would not have the bold uh, and commanding Moses that we have now. And so paying attention to Moses's early years might help us at Common Ground and me individually and hopefully you individually as a sibling pay attention to the things that we may need liberation from. Why? Because as we see in these early days, Moses was part of the empire. And when you're in a position of privilege, it's quite human to stay in a position of privilege. Let me just speak for myself and say that I can relate to that. Uh, when I have access to the center of belonging, upward mobility, economic resourcing, et cetera, et cetera, it's not often natural for someone like me, perhaps not like you either, to say, let me get out of all of this mess. Or I'd really love less access and resources and privileges that I'm currently unaware of that, are that I'm nevertheless profiting from. Uh, I, for one, am still unraveling my own privilege somehow awake to some of it 
but far and woefully unaware of far more. Some contemporary uh, examples to take uh, the, the spotlight off me for a second uh, is that uh, I, I pulled up a few. So we found out from a study uh, a couple weeks ago, it got circulated that Harvard, um, the very Harvard herself, uh, that of all the white students in the class of 2022, um, about half are legacy students or athletes, as in children of grads and faculty and or from families who are donating to Harvard. The study showed, surprise, surprise, that wealth and race have an overwhelming effect on your admission to America's most respected educational institution and the scholarships therein. Giant surprise, I'm sure. Another one. A study by the, law, uh, the London School of Economics showed that our current president would have done just as well, if not better, had he just taken the money, the small loan that his dad gave him, and put it in a high-yield bank account and never touched it. Um, but he was so able to accumulate wealth because of generational wealth, um, because generational wealth begets generational wealth, uh, that he could declare bankruptcy several times over and still be a multi-multi-millionaire, if not billionaire, depending on who you ask. Don't ask him. Uh, and speaking of that, what we've learned in the weekly anti-racist groups that are, I think are, are, are really shape it, reshaping and reorienting uh, a lot of the ways I see the world, um, is that home ownership has an overwhelming effect on cash flow, credit availability, and generational wealth. And well, most grandparents of our black and brown siblings my age could not attain a mortgage when they were ready to purchase, much less move to the town that they wanted to. So the list of examples go on and on and on. I could continue, but I hope that the point is made. Uh, when you're born, when one is born into empire, as durable in its inequity as America is today, or how durable in its inequity Egypt was in Moses' day, for those who had access and privilege, Number one, they often didn't notice it, as we don't today. And two, even if one does, they're not actively looking to get out of it. And yet with his access to the temple, Moses was still a mixed identity. He sat in the liminal space, somewhere in between Egypt and Hebrew, fully accepted by neither and because of his own actions, ultimately rejected by both. And so where we left off last week was Moses having to get out of Dodge. Uh, probably out of Alexandria, because the Pharaoh had found out he killed an Egyptian and was out to kill Moses in return. Not safe in the Hebrew slave camps either, despite his Hebrew status, Moses found himself a stranger in a foreign land, two chapters into his story. Now assuredly not a Hebrew and still not an Egyptian. Reading these early chapters shows us the unfolding, unraveling, disorienting, and reorienting and messy life of Moses, the Moses that we all know as the liberator today, the one all three Abrahamic religions celebrates. That's what he had to go through early in his life. It was not a straight and narrow path. It was not a crystal clean journey. It was not a coronation. He is not what I would call hero material. It was not a nonviolent walk into liberation. It was not predictable, but often God's story isn't. So today as we read Exodus, I thought I might switch up my style a little bit. I figured I'd show my work. Uh, so I dumped a bunch of my notes into slides for y'all. Uh, and I warn you in advance, I don't promise that they're coherent or concise. 
but I do hope they evoke some stuff in you because I'd like to make this side note. Uh, ultimately, how I take notes is how I hope y'all read the Bible. Not because I take notes particularly well, but because, uh, and perhaps this is a bit too romantic, but the hope as we read the Bible is, I would say we don't read it alone as a devotional. I don't believe that that's how it's ever meant to be read. Uh, it was not something that was meant to be journaled on as a one person show. Um, it's quite dangerous. And the reformers early on said like Calvin and uh, Zwingli and Luther actually uh, uh, chastised people who would read it alone as a devotional because when you're your own authority and what the words speak, then often you only have one way of articulating stories to yourself. And you always tend, I always tend to put myself just above the line of just enough. I'm just above the line. I'm just good enough. I just have enough. I mean, I'm going to be humble. Like my feet are touching the line. I'm kind of in danger territory, but ultimately I'm above the line of God's grace. I'm good. But hey, all those other people, we got to worry about them. Uh, when we do this, when we read the Bible alone, we tend to build empires that make sense to our context and the way we want to see the world. So my hope is that we would get together, some of us, and just read small portions of the Bible, uh, not necessarily depending on the way that the chapters and the verses are broken up, and that ultimately we just kind of sit there and ask ourselves, whether alone or with others, what came up when we read this portion? Uh, what did we notice? Uh, what do you think God is doing here? Or perhaps a better way of asking, what are the 150 different things that God could be doing in this part of the story? And how might it apply to our lived experience today? So I'm going to just run that Exodus story back. I'm going to read it uh, and do it slowly. And let's pay attention to some of the movement that takes place here and the interactions Moses has with himself, with others, and with God. Because so far, just two and a half chapters in, three chapters in, there's a lot of movement. There's a lot of geographical movement. There's a lot of movement out of family and out of context and out of privilege. There's a lot of movement out of character. Moses is a person who's a, of the royal court, but then a murderer who has to flee. He's not yet Hebrew, not yet Egyptian, and goes to a third space that he's not yet either. So let's just pay attention to some of these things, and I'll show you the notes that I made, and we'll wrap this up. So here again, the words of God. Having fled to Midian from Egypt, Moses remained as an immigrant there and married a woman named Zipporah. She gave birth to a son, and Moses named him Gershom, because, he said, I've been an immigrant living in a foreign land. A long time passed, and the Egyptian king died. The Israelites were still groaning because of their hard work. They cried out, and their cry to be rescued from the hard work rose up to God. God heard their cry of grief, and God remembered God's covenant with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Sarah, Rebekah, Tamar. God looked at the Israelites and God understood. Moses was taking care of the flock for his father-in-law, Jethro, Midian's priest. He, fled his he led his flock out to the edge of the desert and he came to God's mountain called Horeb. The Lord's messenger appeared to him in a flame of fire in the middle of a bush. Moses saw that the bush was in flames, but it didn't burn up. Then Moses said to himself, let me check out this amazing sight and find out why the bush isn't burning up. When the Lord saw that Moses was coming up to look, was, was coming to look, God called to him out of the bush. Moses, Moses, Moses said, I'm here. The Lord said, 
don't come any closer. Take off your sandals because you are standing on holy ground. He continue, continued, I am the God your, of your parent, Abraham's God, Isaac's God, and Jacob's God. Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I've clearly seen my people oppressed in Egypt. I've heard their cry of injustice because of their slave masters. I know about their pain. I've come to rescue them from the Egyptians in order to take them out of that land and bring them to a good and broad land, a land that's full of milk and honey, a place where the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites all live. Now the Israelites' cries of injustice have reached me. I've seen just how much the Egyptians have oppressed them. So get going. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I to go to Pharaoh and to bring the Israelites out of Egypt? God said, I'll be with you. And this will show you that I'm the one who sent you. After you bring the people out of Egypt, you will come back here and worship God on this mountain. But Moses said to God, if I, if I now come to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your ancestors have sent me to you, they are going to ask me, what's this God's name? What am I supposed to say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am, which in Hebrew is pronounced Yahweh, to breathe in and to breathe out. So say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. God continued, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your ancestors, Abraham's God, Isaac's God, and Jacob's God has sent me to you. This is my name forever. This is how all generations will remember me. A couple things that I noticed. If you're listening to the podcast or the sermon after the fact, I apologize that you can't see these, uh, but I'll try to go one by one through them. Uh, I invite y'all, just because I copied and pasted these, that if it's easier, just pay attention to the green. I think you'll see some themes um, consistently throughout this. So number one point that I noticed as I sat with this text. Uh, this part of the Exodus story shows us that, number one, we will find God in interesting, unpredictable, shadowed, lowly, lonely spaces and places. Often these spaces and places are outside of the power apparatuses that seem most blessed or resourced or secure. I think the photo negative of that statement is we should be suspicious of places that are blessed and resourced and secure in our eyes because often those places that are blessed, whether it be a company, a church, a nation, uh, well-resourced or secure, come on the backs of others who provided free labor as it was with Egypt. Uh, also, often uh, these are not the places and spaces our eyes first notice. We are a people who are marketed to, we are whispered to, we are outright uh, uh, observed as consumers and our, our ears are tickled towards product, towards smells, towards sights, towards what we think is the good life. Egypt feels like the good life in, the Moses, in Moses' day. Midian is anything but. And yet God, being God, found Moses in that interesting, unpredictable, shadowed, lowly, lonely space. The first time Moses experiences God is outside of the palace, in a third space, as an exile, as an immigrant. God showed up. 
being outside of these normative spaces of supremacy culture might just accelerate our own identity work and understanding and our sense of belonging. And examples of this wilderness outside our comforts could be among different economic strata in our consumeristic culture. Outside American-centric contexts, whether it be media or just the people we spend time with, among our queer siblings in this ultimately heteronormative cis and male-centered culture, among BIPOC siblings in a culture saturated with whiteness, among, and listen to this common ground because this applies to us, among our mystics and sages in a Christian culture saturated with certainty and right thinking. Let the mystics and the sages who imagine new ways forward speak truth into our collective life on where God is and where God isn't. And may we follow those mystics and sages in their imagination as they craft reality. May we join that reality. So first thing, we will find God in interesting, unpredictable, shadowed, lowly, lonely spaces and places. Those could be figurative or geographical or organizational or all of the above. Here's another thing I noticed in this Moses narrative. Getting out from under empires and industrial complexes is hard. So we, why is it hard? We lose the trappings of comfort, belonging, and familiarity. Often the belonging outside it is more authentic, vulnerable, and human, but nevertheless, we give something up of comfort, belonging, familiarity when we exit empire. Getting out of empire might just accelerate our own identity work and understanding and sense of belonging. Examples of empires and industrial complexes we're trapped in. Seeing myself as Christian or as Democrat or as progressive or as American or as white or as straight. Not that these things aren't true, but that these things aren't the sole markers and we need to pay attention to the way these markers have power or don't have power in our society. We are part of the empire, whether we are oppressor or oppressed. So let us pay attention to the markers that the empire says, this is valuable and this is not. More examples, the world chopped up as nations with invisible borders, the ethics or lack thereof of our current machinations of capitalism, uh, our ideas of personal freedom and personal income, our ideas of individualism, that what we do doesn't have intrinsic effects on our siblings, on our Western frames as Christians, since our frames are oh so Western, not least here at Common Ground. May we learn from folks who have been raised in the Christian tradition for the last 2,000 years that have had nothing to do with the Northwest Hemisphere. And the idea that Jesus as the way, which has been used as a tool, more like a hammer against our siblings who might not agree or might not have heard of Jesus until they were told Jesus is the only way. Let us exit some of this empire thinking. Moses had to as well. So the second is getting out from under empires and industrial complexes is hard. Third, this part of Exodus story shows us that number three, God is in the wilderness, and so are others. God speaks to us there, sibling. And when we get out from under the weight of expectations, fears, posturing, facades, and norms, we often become more aware and attentive to God. 
I'd contend that we are best used by God or co-creating with God when we realize just how much we need each other. When connection and mutual inter interdependence runs deep, God is often right there in that mix. Those pushed out or on the outside of empires will offer you and me more welcome and hospitality than we'd expect. You're not alone when you're outside the empire, whether voluntarily or involuntarily ejected from that community or that organization or that tribe. Stepping into unknown places and spaces might just accelerate our own identity work and understanding and sense of belonging. I hope that you're picking up that that is a repetitive frame throughout these, that actually making these exits, making this movement accelerates our own identity work and understanding and our sense of belonging. So the third point that I notice in Moses' story in this early chapter is God is in the wilderness when Moses is there, and so are others, the Midianites. Number four, God hears the cries of the oppressed. So let us stand and connect with the less powered. Cries do not fall on deaf ears and they're not cried in vain, says God. God conspires actively against powers that cause harm and limit flourishing. So let us co-conspire with God towards liberation, both liberation in ourselves and around us with others. Here's another thing to notice. God is very angry with political, economic, environmental, and religious apparatuses that cause harm and limit flourishing. So let us be angry too. Righteous anger is a gift from God. Self-righteous anger is disconnect from neighbor and our own story. With God, things are uncertain. Engage what emerges. With God, things are messy. Engage the complexity. With God, things don't always work out as we expect or intend. Embrace the journey. I said this, our desire for a quick fix, like we talked about last week, and we'll talk about in the following weeks, you see Moses quickly not noticing his privilege or maybe leaning into his privilege, trying to do a quick fix for whatever he came across. Despite being a murderer, he wants to be the quick fixer of conflict between two Hebrews. I would say that's quite human, something I relate to pretty deeply. Our desire, my desire for the quick fix or the silver bullet is often my own, a projection of my own desire to solve this thing quick. The thing that's in, with, and around me that might be going wrong. This also often reflects my desire, our desire to disengage from the mess. I, I unfortunately contend, I don't know if this is an evangelism tool, but Common ground is not gonna be a place where we can disengage from the mess. It's like we're just swimming in mess, given all of our stories. May we embrace each other's story and the radical differences that we have. Uh, these things take time, so embrace the journey. Continuing in point four, um, standing in places and spaces with those devoid of our same access, power, influence, and privilege um, in, uh, into unknown places and spaces might just accelerate our own identity work and understanding and sense of belonging. Examples of those crying out to be heard and validated in today's culture. Non-males, the income insecure, BIPOC folks, the unhoused, the immigrant, the incarcerated, the recently released from incarceration, 
those uncertain about their faith, but still committed to journeying in a spiritual community and all affected by supremacy culture. Five and six. Liberation is always, 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 always costing us something. When we give things up, we tend to gain a lot. That's what Jesus tells us. Giving up a fear often results in greater freedom. Not that that's a binary choice, but often that's the result. Giving up a bias often, under, often leads or results in the empathy and understanding of another. Giving up scarcity often results in greater joy and generosity. And giving up prepackaged idea, ideas of your identity tends to lead to an accelerated idea of belonging and comfort in your own and my own identity. The cost tends often to be the great reward of intimacy with the divine and great discovery of the divine reflected in you, sibling. And six and finally, God is always there. The six points that I noticed in, in Moses's story in this chapter, in these chapters. We will, we will find God in interesting, unpredictable, shadowed, lowly, lonely spaces and places. Moses did in Midian. Number two, getting out from under empires and industrial complexes is hard. The Bible gives us no detail of what it looked like, but I have to imagine it was pretty messy. Moses going from being in the royal palace, eating what he got to eat, hanging out with the people he got to hang out with, wearing what he got to wear, and then having to flee past his own people enslaved into a third space that he never knew. And the very reason that the Hebrews were enslaved in the first place is because Pharaoh had no respect for them because they were traveling shepherds. They were, they, were, they were subsistent farmers. They didn't have a home. They didn't have a land. Now look at Moses. He's brought into a place where he has no land and has to depend on others. The third is God is in the wilderness and so are others. I have to imagine that Moses's liberation came realizing the radical hospitality God provided with the people in a foreign land for Moses, despite him being at the royal court in a land that enslaved others. Fourth, God hears the cries of the oppressed, so let us stand and connect with the less powered. Fifth, liberation always costs something, and God is always there. I have some closing thoughts. If you're just one waking up to where you've been placed in an industrial complex that has caused you harm to your siblings, I hope you relate to Moses' story and give yourself amazing grace. Clearly, God invited Moses to co-create one of the greatest acts of liberation we currently know in our faith tradition. And or if you're waking up to your liminal in-between status, perhaps evangelical, but not quite, or a person of color, but with some markers of privilege, or have been enticed by the markers of whiteness, or white, but devoid of the traditional markers of privilege. Whatever it is where you find yourself in a two or more identity space, I hope you find peace in Moses' story because he too needed time to suss out his identity, and he did that in community, and ultimately God used that time which I might add was probably a long season, enough to get married and enough to have kids. Um, but ultimately God used that time of Moses finding location with his people to help free those people from bondage. Moses 
was not usable as he stood in the palace in Egypt to free the Hebrews. Moses needed to get out of the trappings of empire. And if you're a person who now finds yourself in the wilderness, I don't know how else to describe common ground, but outside of the evangelical industrial complex, near enough to see its lights and harmed enough that we're still healing from the pains that that industrial complex caused us. We belonged until we didn't. We were free to think until we weren't. We had friendships until those friendships, church was chosen over you and me. We were able to question until that question became too much for the church to handle and we were promptly shown the door. Belonging had all sorts of strings attached. And so if you're that person, here's what I invite in you. Empire thought, American thought, contemporary thought, Western thought, throw it all together, is going to invite you into an end. Do you see the light at the tunnel, at the end of the tunnel? I'm actually not inviting you into that space. And I don't think Moses knew that he was heading back to Egypt. Uh, I certainly don't think that we're going to be completely in control of where we are going in a few years, how our story unfolds. So if you're a person who finds yourself in the wilderness right now, whether in thought or literally geographically or in between jobs, whether you're uncertain about your future, cast out of a church, unclear about your faith now, does God exist? What does God do? What does God look like? You're still unraveling and unpacking your identity and your idea of belonging. This part of Moses' story shows us that God is intimately involved in it. God did not come to solve all the confusion in Moses' identity. While Moses finds belonging in himself first and in the divine Yahweh and among the people, he ultimately decided to locate, God decided to locate Moses among those people. This was all a work in progress unfolding. And it happened, that clarity happened in a moment of uncertainty, in a season of uncertainty, in a season of doubt, of a season of what seemed to be lost dreams. So finally, if you're one of all of the above and or just finding yourself exiting a kind of empire right now, a kind of Egypt, whether it be your ideas around something that you've always held, that have always held sway in your life, including and not limited to your idea of faith and of God and of heaven and of hell and of justification and of grace. If you find yourself renegotiating all of that, or you find yourself in a literal space or place that has been a literal empire in your life, like an old church or an old tribe or your current social location, well, I hope this part of Moses' story encourages you to keep going on your journey, sibling. We at Common Ground can only promise to be with each other as we journey. We cannot promise where we're headed. If, that's one, if one thing Dr. Robin helped us see was that we belong to each other through radical difference. Do not retreat behind the apparently and previously safe walls of what was before. After all, safety, security, and belonging in harmful empires often comes with all sorts of visible and invisible strings attached, which all of you seem to be aware of. And sure, the walls of Egypt might keep us safe, and the palace kept Moses safe in his seat of privilege, but it came at the expense of his own identity, his own security, 
his own sense of self, and his own connection to God. May we pay close attention to these early days of Moses' life, for they are speaking to us now at Common Ground as we renegotiate a whole host of things around identity and belonging. May we not be a people who return to Egypt, and may we not be a people who build another empire. In God's name, amen.